0: You're listening to the beyond signal podcast an open-ended exploration of the past present and future of education each week i sit down with some of the entrepreneurs and investors funding and founding a more effective equitable and engaging future of education Ray, thanks so much for coming on our first episode of the Beyond Signal podcast. For listeners, we might just give maybe a 30-second bio what you're all about.
1: Awesome, Will. I Thank you for having me. Hey, everybody. My name is Ray, Ray Batra. I am the CEO and founder of Shift Up, a company uh, based in Detroit, Michigan, U.S. And uh, we have created something called a learning gym which is a physical space and community for online students. And that's what we're going to talk about probably a lot today.
0: And maybe before we dive into that, do you want to talk a little bit about your background and and how you got into interested in ed tech? Absolutely.
1: I appreciate it. So it's sort of just quickly sort of high level. So I've been really interested in thinking about new models of education, education reform, since since I was about 16 years old, and I'm now 26, uh, so it's been about 10 years. And uh, prior to starting the company, I worked for the Entangled Group, uh, which is a venture studio focused on higher education. They do sort of consulting and building companies and other sorts of things, based out in San Francisco. And then prior to that, I worked for EdSurge an ed tech media company, sort of like TechCrunch, but focused on the education sector. And then I've also got some experience in a, in a number of different areas, including some work for the University of Michigan's online learning team. I've done some policy work uh, for the United States Secretary of Education, Arnie Duncan. I've done some substitute teaching, and uh, a teaching fellowship, yeah, and so all those different kind of perspectives have been yeah. certainly helpful.
0: Wow, yeah, that's certainly a, a wealth of experience, Ray. But at present, you're working on the learning gym. And do you mind telling our listeners just a bit about that and
1: what you guys do there? Essentially, the way our product sort of works or service is, you know, you could pay depending on where you live and, and sort of in different varieties. It's somewhere between, and, and, and how, what, what your membership level is. You're paying typically between 100 to $300 a month. And in return, you're getting access to, uh, you certainly get physical space, right, to come and study. But you, beyond that, you're also getting live tutors for the most in-demand areas uh, there to help you different different nights of the week. So basically, you know, Monday, you might be doing web development. Tuesday, you might be doing data science. Wednesday, you might be doing digital marketing. And so people can come these different nights. Third is you have you know, peer community, people who are studying and learning the same things that you are. Fourth, we do lots of live events, right? typically five to 10 a month. Fifth, you get your own personal trainer, uh, somebody who's there to check in with you and uh, help you set goals and stay motivated and accountable. But you also get you know, educational and networking social events. You're also getting a roadmap, which is like curated resources and projects basically to, to help you. And then you have lots of feedback and assessments that you can pay for if you like. And finally, connections to employers you know, when you get to the point that if and when you want a job. It
0: certainly sounds like you've been around the block in terms of ed tech, working within universities, working as a teacher and in venture studios. How do you think your depth and breadth of experience has allowed you to pick up things and see things and that you've incorporated into your learning gyms that other ed tech
1: founders might not have? Yeah, so many people enter the ed tech space or education technology as founders or they try to <laughs> they try yeah. to enter sort of thinking that it's a very, you know, similar space as who knows, fintech or, you know, ad tech or all these other sort of technology sectors. And you know, there there is education has always been this sort of like black sheep in terms of different sectors mm-hmm. for people to start companies. The it's it, education is is an incredibly complicated sort of industry, and there are a lot of angles to it, and a lot of that's tied because there's a lot of government involved in many cases and so yeah, c- certainly having a sense of what are the policy uh, implications right and 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 what are the barriers there how does the university work how how do administrators think what are those sales cycles like? It's hard to boil down honestly into like mm. a, a quick sort of pithy thing but but you need to have. If you're trying to sell to, to an audience that uh, ends up being within these, these groups, you need to have a deep understanding, I think, of the magnitude of the challenges and how to walk around them. Yeah, so I was
0: reading some of your, your writing for Ed Surge back in 2016. Is there anything I was wondering that you've changed your mind on since then as you've kind of delved deeper into the,
1: the space? Yeah, I, I think, so at that time, if, if people remember, so boot camps sort of got their very beginning around the same time that MOOCs did, if I remember, around 2012, 2013, about mostly. And then they sort of exploded in popularity right around, I think, 2015, 2016, I believe. So that's when I was there. I do remember at that time, I was very bullish on boot camps. I sort of thought that, like, they could be the savior in some cases to... You know what was the, some of the problems in higher ed. I think um, it's become clear for for most people since then that boot camps really still are relatively niche, and I, I don't think they're going to be a university killer, so to speak. Yeah. Um, so you know that's one thing. I think the second thing is that th- there wasn't a lot going on at that time with. The ability to do sort of live synchronous courses, yeah. right? And uh, I think, uh, especially with COVID, and, and we're seeing interesting new businesses come out. And I've, you know, seen a, a number of different platforms that are getting built to allow for live synchronous training. That I'm really interested to to see how much success those can have. I think that live synchronous is certainly important going forward.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and uh, I suppose if we go. Back a bit and think about the uses of the university. There's a, I'm sure you, you might have read a Clark Kerr's book. What what would you include in that definition as like the, the
1: uses of a university or the jobs we be done? I think someone else said this at some point. I think it's true, which is many, many ed tech entrepreneurs, right? They, they, first of all, a lot of entrepreneurs are very, smart in, in certain ways, right? And, and that yeah. often includes being very highly rational in some capacity. And so a lot of entrepreneurs types will sort of look at what exists on the internet through content, right? Whether that's YouTube courses or courses on Coursera or Udacity or what have you. And they'll be saying, you know, why hasn't the university fallen, right? There's free access for everybody. The problem is motivation. Like people, yeah. people aren't motivated to take advantage of them. And and they often sort of say that's the future of the university. I think it was David Sachs that tweeted recently, like in the last couple of weeks, about yeah. this, sort of believing that again that the future of university is free online courses. I remember I saw that and I, I just laughed because that's it's just it's such a view that has been proven wrong time and time yeah. again. Yeah. But the this goes back to the question of okay, wh- why do people go to university? And actually, I have a book in another room here called Choosing College, uh, which is oh, actually, um co-written by Michael Horn and yeah, um, yeah. Bob Mesta and Michael Horn's actually uh, an investor in a company. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited to read it, but I haven't gotten through the whole thing yet, but long and short is that I'm going to say this, that, you know, people don't generally don't go to college for the content. They go to for college for almost everything except the content yeah. or everything around it, which includes most importantly, typically the relationships relationships with not only professors and uh, instructors, but with friends and, and buddies. That's one piece. Of course, the other piece yeah. is, as a lot of people know, there's the network building, right? People need networks. People need um, credentials, right? The, the fact that the university produced a credential to help people get a job. I think the learning is one, is one job, mm. but it's 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 not typically the, the primary one that people are looking for. I think it's often helped me get a job, some cases it's helped me escape my current reality, right? There's some people that are leaving a, a, a bad environment from their parents or their, or their town or whatever. There's uh, you know, help me sort of be the best version of myself. And this is oftentimes designed for, adult learners who are yeah. uh, maybe in their 30s or 40s and they, they, they want to get that college degree. Yeah, right. I
0: think you're bang on. Uh, it reminds me a lot of something Michael Stanton wrote in uh, the Harvard Business Review as well about the unbundled college degree. And I think he basically identified four components of it. One being knowledge acquisition, then access to opportunities, cognitive and employable skills, and then personal transformation. So very much along the lines of what uh, what you were saying there. There's a great line from a guy called Jim Barkdale who says that there's only two ways to make money: like bundling and unbundling. Yeah. And I was
1: wondering, do you think that it's possible to unbundle college? Yeah, I, I think it. I think it can be. I think it can be. I, I think a missing piece that 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 many people have not figured out is how do you unbundle that personal transformation piece? Yeah. that's really important. I actually have a friend who is, his name is Grant Shroll, which by the way, I think you should have on this podcast at some point. He runs a company in Washington, D.C. in the U.S. called Mission Collaborative. Grant and I know each other from college when he was at University of Michigan. He ran a program in the summer that helped people with that personal transformation piece. And he's basically doing that now um, in a company that targets not college students, but sort of those who are like maybe three or four years out of college. Mm. But yes, I, I think, you know, my end goal with Shift Up and Learning Gyms is in the long term to create a new university system. Right. I think yeah. it's it's like I've been interested in that for for some time. And I think that will require eventually, right, over the very long term, to figure out that personal transformation piece and be able to bring it in or, or to separate it, to unbundle it. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, to answer your question, I think it is possible. I haven't seen anybody who's figured out the personal transformation piece enough. And it's not just even providing the right solution. I'm sure there are many programs out there that help people personally transform. It's about how do we provide these these different pieces in a coherent way that makes sense as a business, both from a financial perspective and to the end user. I think most likely what it's going to look like is... Something or someone that can, you know, target those young people, again, who might be 17 or 18. And I would say almost like a gap year, right? Starting out with some, some program that can help one sort of reflect and figure out what they want to do, who they want to be, and probably some sort of like looping, right? In and out between do some of that reflection, personal transformation, and then learn some skills, and then maybe do some project-based stuff and then learn some skills and then kind of continue to continue and eventually get work experience. And then you kind of feed seamlessly into the workforce. And then Mm -hmm. once you're in the workforce, you probably come back and come to a learning gym from time and time again until you continue through your life, I guess. Well, who do you think is is doing it well? I know there are a number
0: of alternatives out there, like Praxis and Minerva is doing something
1: different as well. Who do you think is doing a good job at the moment with college alternatives in general? I'm really impressed uh, with with Make School, and I think that their founder is—he's a very thoughtful person about these. I think Minerva's interesting. I mean, I think that they're targeting a very niche group of people, but yeah. I mean, I might be wrong in the long term. I think you know, in terms of hybrid college, what they call hybrid colleges, which is sort of like what Shift Up is doing, meaning blending online and in person, but. Specifically focused on college, there's probably maybe one to two dozen right now that are that are well known, and there's probably a lot of others out there that are not. But there's one in Texas called Peloton. I just got off the phone yesterday, a couple days ago, with a nonprofit called Duet D U E T in Boston. They work with Southern New Hampshire University, to uh, which is um, one of the pioneers in in, in distance learning to use their curriculum and they provide the in-person supports. There are some great models around the world too. There's the African Leadership University. Those are the ones that come to the top of my mind, but um, there's a lot of others too. Yeah. And
0: you've obviously had to to pivot a lot with COVID-19.
1: And how have you gone about making that transition? So I think when COVID happened, there was absolutely a big question mark as to how... Critical is this in-person component? Is this going to destroy our business or not? The good news was, um, it's only one of many value propositions. The in-person, physical, you know, is is clearly one and arguably more than one. But there's plenty of others. So we transitioned to online to using Zoom, and you know, people can still get live coaching. They still get roadmaps. They still get employer connections. They still get live stream events. So a lot of the value is still there and we were able to augment that value with a few new pieces as well. Uh, So long story short is, it's actually, it's not hurt our business. We've been able to to grow, and I do see coming back out of COVID, like certainly we'll have the in-person piece again, uh, but we will have online memberships as well, and that's been an interesting natural experiment. Yeah, a forced experiment. What do you think is so important about the in-person aspect of the learning gym? It really comes down to who we're serving, right? When I think about all all the population of people who need to learn or have the same desire to ultimately get a job or to gain a skill for X or Y reason, I think there's a spectrum that you could say out of 100 people, perhaps five or less than five would thrive using existing asynchronous free online courses, right, from Coursera or Udacity or what have you. I mean, the, everybody knows, I think, roughly the stats on, on completion. You're talking, depending on how you measure it, somewhere between three to four to 20% completion. There is probably another chunk of people that would thrive in synchronous online courses. And we don't know what that percentage is, but it, it may be another five, 10, 20, 30, maybe 40, or maybe more percentage of people. But there is still. I deeply believe both from my own personal experience and my intuition as a founder and what we've seen from actual evidence on the ground, a large chunk of people who innately value the in-person community, the social element Mm -hmm. that comes through learning in a physical place with other people. And I think there are a couple of reasons for that. One is that for many people, learning is a transformation, right? It's a transformation of, of, in some cases, of your identity as a person. And transformation is a uniquely sort of human, a uh, fully yeah. human experience. And that is something that for most people is best experienced when you are with other humans, other, other mentors who are there in person, when you can process what you're doing with others and your identity as a human is changing. And so to do that in person is sort of almost more natural and just a better experience. So that's kind of yeah. one piece. I think secondly, as you go back to those jobs to be done, right? Like what is what is, why are people coming here? I think it's 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 almost like the the dirty little secret is for a lot of people, we advertise and and are promoting the ability to gain valuable marketable skills that can, you know, pay the bills. Yeah, uh, in some cases. And that draws people in for good reasons. But the reality is that a lot of people have other problems in their lives that they might be lonely in other ways they might you know crave connection in other ways and this is not everybody a lot of people get value from making new friends and they didn't realize that they wanted to pay for that but then they're like oh wait a second this is actually a new valuable community in my life that also happens to give me economic skills Mm -hmm. and that's really cool so i I could imagine down the road that shift up as a learning gym could be much more right like we could be it could be a, a social club that has people that want to cook together, that want to run together, that want to you know, work on improving their lives financially together. Like t- That's really cool. You can think of learning
0: as almost the gateway drug to helping people to really actualize
1: their potential and move up in the world. It's, it's kind of just the tip of the iceberg, if that makes sense. Mm. I think you will see the growth of learning gyms for all different segments. I mean, you'll probably have learning gyms focused on like older adults and kids and premium, sort of uh, very premium side. And I think for us, we are mostly focused on those who they are working adults. They tend to be clustered in their 20s and 30s. It's not exclusively that. Like we do have some people as young as 16 and we do have some people as old as 72, I wanna say. Yeah, we're focused on working adults who are tend to be in the lower to mid sort of income range. So they tend to be employed, but they're often in, let's say, service or retail, or in some cases, on the earlier rungs of professional side. But, but they're sort of commonly bound by, you know, aspiration to to move up in their in their lives economically and in other ways too. I mean, this is so often in startups is you can start with one thing and then you can branch out down the road, right? And mm-hmm. I think uh, that's an area that we're starting with, and eventually I think we can serve a lot more too.
0: Yeah, we've covered a lot of ground i was thinking uh, we might jump into a, a quick fire rant how does that sound sounds okay <laughs> yeah so we'll do a little game ray if you were the president of
1: harvard what would you change there wow i would i feel deeply I care a lot about access right i think uh yeah Boosting financial aid, I think, you know, obviously you need an endowment, but I think, yeah, I would say, you know, boost access something like Harvard. I would also say I would want to deeply understand why keep it as exclusive as it is. Like why, like if there's, you know, they, they say that they have five or 10 times as many people that are qualified to get in that they can't, that they can't accept. Why not? Uh, why not expand? I think you can. Yeah. Um. Well, there's
0: obviously the common the common argument that it's uh, not the the education they're selling the prestige.
1: You know, if they truly are having ten times as many applicants that get in, or whatever the number is, then uh, yes, I understand the prestige sort of to some extent comes from inherently from exclusivity. But on the flip side, there's also a component of the prestige ultimately that comes down to the quality of the people that they're graduating, mm. right? So, so if they could graduate with the same quality type of person, so. Anyway, that's a long discussion.
0: (laughs) And uh, so CEO of
1: Lambda School, what would you do there? I know the CEO of Lambda School, so Austin is great. So he, he recently, relatively recently, maybe, I don't know, six months ago or so, made an announcement that he was offering mental health services to his students I think that was fantastic. I actually tweeted at him and he responded and in, a, in a good way about down the road. I would love to expand that beyond mental health, also do financial literacy, also do physical fitness. I think the income share agreements, one of the beautiful things about them is that they unlock, which is, by the way, for those who don't know, right, income share agreements are basically financial mechanisms that the students don't have to pay anything up front. They only pay if and when they get a job, they give a share of their income back. That, that could unlock a lot of premium services at, you know, no upfront cost and minimal risk. Mm -hmm. Uh, Ultimately, I would love to have something like Lambda School or us or whatever with the ability to give people not just technical education, but really wrap around services, everything they could possibly need to get from point A to point B in, let's say, six months and like your own personal SWAT team, basically, of different advisors. That would be fantastic you're uplifting a person and then you're just taking
0: a, a small chunk of the upside. Yeah. It's a, it's a powerful idea for sure. Um, and finally, what's something that you believe
1: about education or ed tech that most people would disagree with you on? So when we began this journey, right, was sort of at the very beginning It was a couple of years ago. I think the landscape was probably different then. I think people, a lot of people in Education technology understand the need for uh, blended sort of education models, part online, part in person, but still the vast majority of sort of entrepreneurs and investors, it's a crazy thing to wrap their, their minds around. I think a couple of things people disagree with me is I think universities will be here for a very long time. A lot of entrepreneurs, you know, don't, you know, so that's sort of thing. One, I think that universities are actually in many ways a lot more innovative than people give them credit for. And yes, I believe the future of education is not purely online. I think there is uh there is a fundamental piece to the core job why people do you go to education that that you're not able to to uh replicate online perfect
0: thanks ray i think that's a, a perfect place for us to wrap this up so universities will be around for a while yet and education is not going to be solely online in the future be a blended uh, model if it's going to be effective. Very interesting Sofra and thanks so much for coming on. Awesome will, I thank you for having me.